are so many amazing perks of being sober. And one of my favorites is that sobriety allows us to take self-care to the next level. And it gives us such a sense of confidence. There's really nothing like feeling confident in your own skin. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about today's sponsor, One Skin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. I've told you about how when I got sober, one of my favorite things was starting a skincare routine because that was not something I ever prioritized before. But let's be honest, knowing what the best skincare routine is can be a little overwhelming. That's why I'm excited about One Skin. There's no complicated routine, no multiple step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code HAPPIEST at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code HAPPIEST. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support my show and tell them I sent you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, and when we get sober, they can almost feel magnified at first because we're adjusting to feeling all our feelings again rather than using alcohol to numb them. I was honestly really surprised when I got sober at how many emotions came up for me. I remember literally saying, I have so many feelings right now, and it felt really overwhelming having to feel them all. But the great thing about that is that it gave me the clarity and awareness that I had some things to work through, like people-pleasing and like my own self-talk. That's where therapy can be so helpful because it's a safe space to get things off your chest and begin to work through what's been weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. What I really love about BetterHelp is that it's entirely online. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire and you'll be matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime with no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com happiest today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash happiest. Hello and welcome to Happiest Sober Podcast. I'm Madeline. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you've all been having an awesome week. I'm super excited this week because I'm bringing you a new guest and I love her. (laughs) I'm chatting this week with Kim Kearns and Kim is the author of an amazing book called On the Edge of Shattered. Kim and I connected on Instagram um, a few months back now and I read her book and I loved it and we actually have a lot in common which you'll hear us chat a little bit about in this episode Um, but yeah so Kim is an author she's a podcast host of the weekend sober podcast which I actually um, went on her podcast for a chat not too long ago so go check that out go check out her podcast Um, but yeah Kim has such an amazing story to share I think it's one that um, is relatable for so many of us. So I'm super excited to bring it to you today. And with that being said, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Here is my chat with Kim. Hi, Kim. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I've been so excited to talk because as you know, I read your book and loved it. And it's so funny because I feel like I like know so much about you obviously from reading it but I've been so excited to get to like actually chat with you more about your story thank you I know I'm so excited to be here thank you for having me of course okay why don't we start off with can you tell me like a little bit about um your childhood and kind of like the role that alcohol played in your childhood yeah um so I know this is like it's so nice to to finally be on here and chat with you because, um, first off, 
I had contacted you on Instagram and asked yeah. you, um, yeah, to read my book. And thank you so much because thank you um, for sending it. <laughs> yeah, I had, um, you know, I self-published my book, and with doing that, it um falls on the writer to kind of put it out there right yeah market it and get it in the hands of the readers and so I had um contacted you and we had never spoken and you were so incredibly sweet (laughs) thank you so much for reading it I really it means a lot so thank you I really loved it I really did and then in um in doing in reading that we realized we have so much in common so I know so many things right I think I messaged you when I was in the first, like maybe 10 pages, I was like, check November, 2020. We both got sober. We both joined the luckiest club. We both have like sort of alcoholism in our our families with our parents. We both have are the youngest of three sisters, right? Yeah. So many things. Yeah. (laughs) When you sent me that message, I read it to my husband and I was like, this is the stuff. Like when you realize that people like across the world are just so aligned with you and mm-hmm. so much in common. And, you know, like it was just like on a whim, I had sent you that message and then you started being, and it was just so nice. I just felt so connected to you. So thank you. Um, but yeah. So like you mentioned, I have alcoholism in my family. Yeah. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, I grew up in um, Greenwich, Connecticut, which is a, um, a pretty affluent town. And, um, I had a pretty, you know, sheltered life, uh, mm-hmm. youngest of three girls. And my parents were pretty, um, you know, gave us a great little life as kids. And, um, I never realized it, but, um, my mother struggled with alcohol for her whole life and I yeah. never even knew it. Um, and I just thought, all the adults in my world drank and I just thought drinking was normal. Um, up and up through middle school, high school, um, everyone I knew drank, you know, it was the only way to, um, function in, um, high school to be accepted. Um, it was the social lubricant. Um, I did not see it any other way we all started drinking at a very young age. Um, yeah. You were, were you 14, 15. Yeah. yeah 14. Yeah. Right. I remember my first drink, um, my first high school party. I remember, um, yeah, it, I blacked out at a very young age. I knew that I was blacking out. I knew I, it, I didn't think anything of it. Um, drinking every weekend through high school and into college. Um, it was the thing to do. And it, you were considered, you know, a fun, cool, popular girl if you were getting drunk. Yeah. And if you didn't go to those parties on the weekends in high school, um, you know, you, you weren't a cool girl. I don't know. Uh, and I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be accepted. And I wanted to be part of that crowd, um, yeah. unfortunately. And home, my parents drank, my dad didn't drink much and he doesn't drink really anymore. Um, but my mom drank every day and I didn't, you know, I used to, 
in high school steal her alcohol and um you know replace it with water which is actually later as an adult something i was doing to hide my drinking from my husband i was replacing vodka with right. water as an adult came full circle kind yeah of um so yeah got to college and the drinking just progressed so i had i was exposed at a very young age yeah and how do you feel now looking back on sort of your like high school and college years and like all the partying you did like how do you think that affected you at the time were you really just like i'm having fun like whatever like when do you think it sort of crossed into being like a problematic thing it's such a good question and i i asked that to myself so many times i'm like when did it start to really shift because Right. Like in college, everybody's doing it. That's where I met my husband. Mm -hmm. He drank a ton just like I did, but he doesn't have a problem with alcohol today. Um, You know, I have so many friends that I still talk to that don't struggle with drinking. Um, So why did, why did I go down the path? Like what happened to me? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that there were traumas in my past Mm -hmm. situations that happened to me. um, Things that happened with my family um, uh, that I kind of, I drank to forget about. Um, There's a lot of anger in my, in my past um, that I just wanted to not ever deal with. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that um, that's true with a lot of people who stop drinking is that they realize there's a lot of emotions and things that they never dealt with from a young age. Um, and that is kind of it was a culmination of a lot of that over several years. And um, I think I started to realize that later in my 20s that I was drinking um, once I had kids that I was drinking out of n- you know, maybe spite at times I was drinking because I was angry. I was drinking because I was bored. I was drinking, uh, to not think about certain things. Um, and there was that little voice in my head that was concerned. So I think, uh, yeah, I had kids at the age of 28, 29 and 31. So I had four kids under the age of three. No, three kids under the age of four. I do not have four kids. I had three, <laughs> three <and> four. <laughs> um, so I was a stay-at-home mom and I my husband worked long hours. And it was during that time that I my drinking, you know, kind of started to ramp up. We moved out of Boston and lived in the suburbs. And that's when I sort of found my group of friends that also drank, you know, their glass of wine at 4 PM in the afternoon and made me feel comfortable with the idea of having a second glass. And we all kind of, you know, we did that with each other and we, I had those play dates and I fell into the mommy wine culture. Mm-hmm. I fell victim to it uh, pretty severely. And I think it was about that time. Yeah. When my kids were re- really little that I started to really, um, spiral 
it, but it wouldn't be several more years until I was able to admit that it was kind of up and down, up and down with my drinking, trying to moderate, trying to get control of it. My husband sitting me down being worried. Um, but it wasn't until 2020 pandemic that I was able to realize, um, that God, I had no control over this thing anymore and I needed help. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I think it's so interesting. And I think that your book does such a, an excellent job at sort of like telling this story is how easily it is to just keep going and like, keep getting deeper into it in ways where like, we start giving ourselves permission, like slowly to do things that like we never thought we'd do in certain lines that like, I wouldn't have been okay with this like years ago, but now I'm like, oh, well I want, you know, like I used to think to myself, I, n- I never want to drink at my wedding because yeah. I want to, I want to remember it. Like when I was in my early drinking days, I would be like, I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm drinking at my wedding. And then I get to my late drinking days and I'm like, well, I want to have fun at my wedding. I don't want to not drink. And I used to think I don't want to drink when I have kids. And then as I got later into my drinking days, I was like, well, maybe I'll just drink. Like if I'm away from them, like just the ways that like it progresses. Yes. It's crazy. And I think that your book, like I can totally see how that happens and like understand it, obviously from my own experience too. Um, How you justify it. Yes. especially after you've had one drink and then your inhibitions are lowered. And then you, Oh my God, I can remember being like, Oh, it's fine. I can just have another. And then another. Mm-hmm. just all of a sudden you're on your second bottle and then, you know, it's like, yeah, what the fuck happened. Oh yeah. Sorry. sorry. Oh um, no, that's okay. Our boundaries change. Like it's like we have, uh, I would have like a boundary for myself about drinking. And then like the more you push it further, the more it kind of changes. Yeah. Like I remember. Yeah. So like I wrote about in my book when I came home with my second child, Chase, he was, I was like nursing him. And then I like immediately opened a beer and it was like, I would never have done that with my first child because like drinking was never on my mind really. Oh, that was another thing. It was like, before I had kids, like I wasn't drinking that much you know, like I would go out on a Saturday night. I'd still get drunk with friends. You know, we lived in Boston. I was a teacher. So I, you know, had to get up early and drive out um, into the suburbs. So I didn't like being hungover and teaching. Um, mm-hmm. Surprise, surprise. Like, of course, what, who likes to <laughs> and going to work? So yeah, I didn't drink a lot during the week. But um, once I had kids and I didn't have to go to get up and go to a job, like I, then started drinking more and that's um yeah so when i had my second child i all of a sudden was like oh yeah like i i need my evening beer i need my evening drink and mm-hmm. it's something that i had grown accustomed to was that right. that neatly um relaxant and it was you know first with my first kid alcohol just wasn't on my mind it just wasn't you know when i got home from the hospital God, I, I never would have wanted a drink. I, I It was the furthest thing from, I actually think I had a friend bring me a bottle of champagne to say, congratulations, you know, like when I was in the hospital with my first child and uh, it was the last thing I wanted. Oh, I didn't want alcohol then, but I remember thinking, 
I wanted alcohol when I got home Mm. third time around. It was just already in my, you know, like I was already there and that's, it's awful. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you, you touched on this already, but like, I'm curious to hear more about how you feel like that mommy wine culture, like really impacted your drinking after you had your first kid. Yeah. Um, you know, like I said, my husband went back to work, worked really long hours and I stopped working. I had this little human that I spent all day with and it terrified me. I was 28 years old and lonely as hell. Mm. <laughs> um, so I got the only way to get, and we are in, you know, January in the Boston winter. Yeah. (laughs) So the only way to get out of the house was to go to these mommy and me classes, which I would do once or twice a week. And, um, we would go to like music classes and things like that. And it would, we'd go to the mall, which was like a 10 minute walk and then walk around the mall with the stroller. And then I started to meet up with other moms who were doing the same thing. We were all like zombies, like so tired and trying to figure out these newborns. And then that's when I started to find comfort and, you know, friendship, because as a, as an adult, you're like, I have my friends from high school, my friends from college. And then like, I don't know how to make friends, but then hard to make friends as an adult. Yeah. And then you realize, okay, I can connect really easily and quickly with these women who also have this little tiny human they're trying to keep alive as well. And we're all Mm -hmm. commiserating over sleepless nights and, you know, raw nipples and all these things. (laughs) Like, how do I do this? Like, what do we do? Mm -hmm. And it was really easy to bond really fast with these women. And then, holy shit, we're all drinking wine at four o'clock in the afternoon. And then it's like the connections are instantaneous. And I loved the people that were drinking the wine, obviously, because that was, you know, I gravitated towards those people. And then the people that would have me over for playdates, and didn't serve wine. I'm like, mm, I'm not going back there. You know, <laughs> it was like, right. Porn is fine. And I just always gravitated towards the people that serve wine. Yeah. Cool in my book. And yeah, that's, that was the beginning of the end for me. And soon we were walking around the city with Yetis full of wine and going to the park with bottles of wine in our bags. And that was just, quote unquote, like everybody did, you know, like just like yeah. we did in college, everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Slippery slope, right? Like you, you feel fine partaking because you see everyone partaking. Yeah. So yeah. And then, yeah, you choose people based on that. I really relate to that. Like you let that dictate the type of people you spend time with. Cause it's uncomfortable when you just want to drink to be around someone who's not doing it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You touched on it hundred percent. It makes you uncomfortable yeah. because you're like, why aren't they drinking? What's wrong with me? Because exactly. I exactly. So you be with the people that are doing what you want to be doing, because then you don't question your own behavior. Yeah. A hundred percent. So how do you feel like looking back on kind of those days, like after you started having kids, when you're drinking kind of became more problematic like how do you feel like it really impacted like your life your like mental health your emotional like all of that yeah I um 
I, that's a good question. Nobody ever asked me that like in between time, like after I started really drinking heavily, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it at the time, but I fell into sort of a bit of a depression. I didn't know this though. Um, I developed severe anxiety and I coped by drinking more. Um, my husband had no idea what was going on with me. I didn't know what was going on. Um, I didn't know that I had all these emotions and things that I was bearing and just like shoving down beneath bottles and bottles of booze. Um, so many feelings, so much anger towards my parents, towards my husband for various things. I just, I had a lot of resentment in, you know, you got to read the book to figure out (laughs) all that was about. Um, but yeah, I just had so much that I was, um, fighting and Mm. I didn't even know it. Um, and I remember when I stopped drinking, I, I met with a therapist and she said, you have a lot of anger. And I was like, what? I'm not an angry person. Like I did not think I was angry. And and she sensed it like right away that I had been hiding from so much, so much anger. Um, and yeah, that, that, that cycle of anxiety that I had, that the alcohol had been fueling for so long, my mental yeah. health was just shot. Like I was just a mess and I had no idea. I thought I had it all together. That was the thing. It's like so many people said to me when I stopped drinking, um, we live in Needham, which is outside of Boston. It's about a half an hour outside Boston, 20 minutes. Um, all the people in the town of Needham, like all my friends were like, you had it to get, like, you look like you have it together. Like you look like you were like the picture perfect mom, right? Your kids to soccer practice and going to work out at the gym. And you just look like everything was fine. I'm like, yeah, I did. I had it, mm-hmm. had all the balls in the air. I had, I had the facade up and I did look like I was okay, but I was like crumbling on the inside. Right. That's how it felt for so many years. Um, you know, when my husband would sit me down and try to talk to me about my drinking after a particularly like really bad night out, let's say I, like blacked out and fell down or did something stupid. He would sit me down the next day. Then I would say, okay, I'm not going to drink as much. I'm going to be one of those girls that can only have two glasses of wine and be fine with it. And I, I literally believed I could do that. For the rest mm. of my life. I remember waking up and being like, I, I'll never drink that heavily again. I can do that. And then going out to dinner with him and sitting there and just watching the waiter and just obsessing over what I was drinking and wanting more and counting the like s- sips in my glass and thinking, okay, I have about four sips left. All right. I can drink this over the next 10 minutes. You know, it, it was just so exhausting and yes. so stressful and painful. And I didn't even enjoy my meal, didn't enjoy my time with my husband. And it was just an awful way to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was just, you know, that time in my life was, was really, really hard. It was really, really hard. And it was years and years of this on this hamster wheel of trying to prove to myself that I didn't have a problem and feeling awful hating myself one day. Um, yeah, it was the best way to describe how I feel today is honestly just being free from, I've just felt so trapped. I just felt so, so long and so alone. 
Mm. So alone, even though my husband and I have a really great relationship and he, and I would talk and, and he would, you know, we would have these very open conversations about my drinking. I still was so alone and so lost and had no idea what was happening to me. Yeah. What's scary about it is that even when you're so self-aware and so willing to look at yourself, you still are, can be so deep in it and, and yeah. know what's going on, what's happening to you. So yeah, scary, scary, which is why I think it's so incredible, you know, what this path that you have been down and knowing that like your mom was sober and that you had the knowledge to, to kind of, uh, you know, be able to pull yourself out of it. It's just incredible at such a young age. And I think oh. I applaud you. So thank I, you. I, I think it's incredible. I think it's incredible at any age. So I applaud yeah. you too. <laughs> and I, <laughs> and I think, oh my God, I think so much of what you said is so freaking important. First of all, I think that your description of like trying to go out for dinner with and like in an attempt to moderate your drinking and only have a couple glasses of wine is such a perfect description of how moderation feels more like deprivation than just not drinking. Yes. Like it is so, if I would feel so much more deprived trying to be like, I'm just going to have one or two glasses of wine than to just take it off the freaking table and not do it at all. Cause that is just like exhausting. It's a crazy cycle to be in. It is a hamster wheel a hundred percent. And I think like the point you made that like you just looked like you had it all together your life looked perfect on the outside is so important to point out because that's like people just have this stereotypical image of what a drinking problem looks like and i think that narrative is what prevents a lot of people from getting sober because yep. you're like well i'm not that and i don't want people to think that i'm that so like I, I i i can try to keep figuring this out and like it's not there it's all really about how alcohol is impacting you internally yes it's not about any outside circumstance that's happening that's it it's so true and that's exactly why i wanted to put my story out there why i wanted to be so public with my sobriety is because mm-hmm. i I felt really scared to stop drinking for so long because I was worried about how it would be perceived by others in my community, um, anywhere, honestly. I I cared so much about how people saw me and what people thought of me. Um, Mothers around here, which is just so silly because ultimately at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. You know, I care Mm. only about the the people who care for me and those people that are going to judge me and say, Oh, she's a drinking problem. You know, those are not true friends. Yeah. That speaks more to their problem than it does to anything else. And I know that because I was one of those people that would (laughs) judge those that stopped drinking because I had a problem. I judged those people and I have to show compassion and care for anybody like that because that was me. And I know that those kinds of people are struggling just as I once was. So I Mm -hmm. have to put myself out there and know, and it's almost like throwing out like a a lifeline and, and, you know, no, like I want people to know that like, 
it's okay. You can judge me, but you know, just know that I'll always be here as an example of someone who, you know, if you ever want to talk down the road, because I did it and life is so much freaking better on this side. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's hard because in this town, sobriety is not really a thing. People don't do it. And drinking is, is a large part of the culture around here. So, Mm -hmm. um, it was a bold move for me to stop drinking and to put myself out there so publicly with it and to write a book about it. (laughs) Yeah. The courage. Uh, Oh my God. Yeah. I, I needed, um, I needed to do it because I, I want others to know that it's possible and that there's nothing wrong with it. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's okay. It's okay to not want to drink and to struggle with it also and to do something better with your life after and for sure variety so um yeah and I'm sure anyone who is judging those would be the people who will probably be knocking on your door one day wanting help right um I'm curious to go back to like so I think like so often we know for so long that it's problematic before we're willing to face it. And like, I'm curious what, what was the moment? Like when you woke up and decided to quit, like what made you have that realization that day? Like, I'm curious to hear about, about kind of the moment of deciding you were going to do it. Yeah. Um, I think about that day a lot and I, I wonder so often what it was that made me realize that I, I needed to stop. And I think that one of the biggest, biggest motivating factors was my children. Mm -hmm. Um, I woke up that morning after a blackout, it was around 5am. It was that, you know, shame 4am shame spiral of, Oh God, where am I? What did I do last night? Where are my kids? And I don't remember putting them to bed, that kind of feeling. And I have I had experienced that so many times in my life, which is an awful feeling. Um, but I looked over and my husband was sound asleep next to me. So I knew they were fine, but it was just a terrible feeling. Mm-hmm. And I almost just felt kind of like so sick and tired of this feeling and feeling like an awful mother and just feeling so much like I hate myself, you know, yeah. I just really was so disappointed in myself. And what's, what's also kind of funny is that I was staring down a long road of many nights of drinking. It was Thanksgiving weekend. I had just drank a lot. Um, it was Saturday and I knew that that time in between Thanksgiving and Christmas was just a lot of drinking. And yeah. I knew that I didn't have it in me to like moderate. I just mm. knew I couldn't do it. So I was like, I looked at myself in the mirror, got up so hungover, went to the bathroom, looked in the mirror. And I was like, you're just like, you are such a fucking mess. And I had had the thought before that maybe I need to stop drinking. I'd never really kind of said it out loud to myself or never like really admitted it. But then finally I was like, I think I need to stop drinking. Like I finally admitted it to myself. And then I went and I asked my husband, I poked him on the shoulder. I woke him up and I was like, you need, I I need your help. I need your help. I need to stop drinking. And it was almost like 
a massive weight had been lifted off my shoulder that I didn't even know was there. I was so relieved after I said those words and he was relieved. It was like he had been waiting for years almost. Yeah. Never asked me to stop. He had never pressured me, but he said, yeah, yeah, I'll help you. Um, and I was just like, yeah, it was just a weight was lifted. Um, like I said, it was no rock bottom, no major moment. It was almost just like a light bulb went off. Like Mm -hmm. I had been waiting for just a little bit of courage for a long time, um, to, yeah, to finally admit to myself and to say, help me to my husband. And once I said those words out loud, I knew there was no taking them back. Mm-hmm. I also knew that. And I was like, I just need to say them. And then finally I can start this journey. Cause I knew that it was going to be tough and I knew there was no turning back. Oh, yeah. I'm emotional. <laughs> I, I, first off, I find it so fascinating because I mean, that's like, this was my story as well. And so many people I talked to is their story where like, there were so many things that happened that could have been their quote unquote bottom. And it's just, I think it's often just an emotional bottom where one day you won't, you wake up and it it is, it's just this light bulb. It's like everything clicks and you just hit your point internally of like, I can't do this anymore. Um, and just what, what really made me emotional was you saying like, Oh, I just needed to find a little bit of courage finally to do it. Something my mom loves to quote. I want to say it's from the movie. We bought a zoo. I don't know. I could be wrong, but (laughs) something she heard in a movie and texted to me and my sisters and like, loves it was like, all you need to change. All you ever need is just 20 seconds of insane courage to like change your life. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And like, even just saying it out loud, right. Because like the whole, there's no turning back. That's exactly what, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a burst of courage. Yeah. Yes. It was, I I almost, I like described it as like, it was like something passing by and I like had to grab onto it before it like, I couldn't reach it anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. I just had to like jump up and grab it. Oh my God. And, and yeah, I, and I'm so grateful every day of my life that I did that. Yeah. Because if I, if I didn't, I probably would have fallen back to sleep. And like I did so many days and woken up super hungover, like another couple hours later and probably started drinking later in the day or morning or whatever I did and just stayed on that hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. I don't know where I'd be today. Right. Wow. So how, how was early sobriety for you? And I'm especially curious because we got sober the same month and it was very like fairly early in the pandemic still in the great, like 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, how was that for you? And something I'm also curious about is like, do you think that it ended up making it easier to stay sober? The fact that it was like during COVID times, because I feel like it could kind of be one of two ways. Right. I, I think it actually really helped, especially being around the holidays because normally that time of year, we would have a ton of holiday parties with friends Mm -hmm. and everything, but there was nothing going on. There were, there were no real in-person 
events happening, um, you know, it was tough because there were a lot of gatherings in people's yards and small group things around fire pits people were doing, um, quarantining, we called it. Um, and I quickly got pushed out of that quarantine mm. with close friends. So I, I pretty quickly started to see uh, friends push me out. So, Aww. yeah, but, you know, what's helpful about that is that I got to see real fast who my real friends were. For sure. Uh, um, these people that were not comfortable with me not drinking um, stopped inviting me places that, you know, they were not supportive. And um, that's OK, because then I was able to to see the people that were supportive and, and did still include me. And um, I think that, yeah, it being the pandemic, it was. I was able to kind of hunker down and just focus yeah. on me and focus on my recovery, my sobriety, my, you know, inner work and just do my thing. And it was a good, you know, time to, to focus on the family and the kids. And that's what it was all about in the beginning for me. It was just really reconnecting with myself, myself as a mother because I had just kind of lost, you know, that connection to my mm -hmm. children. I had just, my identity was a mom, yes, but I had been numbing for so long with alcohol. And by the end, I was drinking in the morning and it's just, and I didn't like myself. So I, I started to sort of work on liking myself again. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Loving myself and, and that was really important to do and not be tempted to have to go to parties and things like that. Thank God I didn't have to deal with that really. Honestly. Um, yeah. I, I think at the time I thought at the time I thought like, Oh, this is so much harder because it's, it's a pandemic and it's so stressful. And like, that was true that it was a stressful time, but like in retrospect, I'm like, I'm so glad that that happened when it did, because it really did just let me fully really like immerse myself yeah. in getting sober. And I'm thinking like we had, uh, I remember just getting regular, huge deliveries of alcohol during the pandemic, like, I, because you, you know, we weren't shopping in stores. Mm -hmm. So I had to stop like my regular deliveries of booze from like Costco and which was fine. But like, that was like, it was very easy to just like hunker down and drink by yourself at home. Yeah. Like, that's, that's why it, everybody struggled with alcohol during the pandemic, but my, thank God I had my husband there to not let me drink, you know, like he got rid of all the alcohol in the house. That was the first thing we did that morning. We poured out every single bottle and I watched him. It was very like, it was almost like a ceremony <laughs> of sorts. Mm -hmm. like um, and yeah, I mean, he, he held me accountable and, um, made sure that I didn't drink, but like, yeah. Another thing is I started, um, writing right away. Like the very first day that I stopped drinking, it was almost like the floodgates open. And I just like started journaling and blog. I actually started blog pretty early on and started blogging all about my emotions and my feelings and just everything. And, it's actually pretty cool. If you go back on my blog, you can see all my early, early posts from that, that month, that first month of 2020 December. I think I posted every single day. Um, 
yeah. And like the emotion and the, the just sadness and everything is just, you can really, really get in my mindset of how I was feeling back then. Yeah. And it's intense. Um, but for somebody who's newly sober, it's, I can imagine probably, um, helpful to see what it's like and to know that you're not alone. And that's, I remember thinking, I know I'm not going to go back to drinking. So I want somebody to be able to read this someday and know that they aren't alone because I was reading so many different books, like Laura McCowan's book. Like I read, I've read every Quitlip book I can get my hands on. I was the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted, so at the same time, I was like, I want to get my story out there because I want people to know that they aren't alone. And I'm, and I felt like I wanted to share it with my kids someday. I wanted them to know what mommy had been through. And that's eventually what led to me writing my memoir. Um, and I said, if nobody reads it, at least my kids will know what their mother has done and what she has experienced. So yeah. how, how was the experience of writing your memoir? Cause you go really deep into like your childhood and some traumas and like all of that. How, how was the experience of writing it? And then like putting it out, like you said, like kind of like, you know, yeah. Knowing that people in your life and your town are going to read it. Like, yeah, it's, um, it was really cathartic, obviously writing it and getting, mm -hmm. um, getting it all out there because, you know, I did a lot of the work through therapy and, and, or rather I worked through a lot of it through in therapy. Um, it was really helpful because so much of it was just bottled up and pushed down and repressed memories. And I needed to work through it. Um, <laughs> some people who, um, I'm friendly with in the sober community and who've done AA say it's basically like a fourth step in a book form. Um, it's basically like, you know, going through like all my, um, issues and putting it mm -hmm. on paper, but I felt like I wanted to, I, I needed to do it. I needed to do it for my own recovery. Um, and like I said, I, for my kids, um, and it, it's hard because there are some difficult things in there. Um, you know, it's hard for my family to read and they say, you know, with a memoir that it's your story, it's your emotional truth. And, um, everybody's entitled to write their own emotional truth and their own <laughs> version of the story. Everyone's version is going to be different. Everyone's yeah. experiences are different. And, um, I think it's, it's hard for some people to read, uh, because, yeah, like you said, there's some tricky things in there and there's some difficult parts to read. Um, yeah, there's some traumas in there. There's some stuff from my college and, and childhood that it's, it's hard. It's sad and hard, but necessary to understand the reasons why I drank. And I think it, it shows for a lot of people, um, you know, allows them to say, oh, I, I need to kind of look at myself and reevaluate my own family dynamic or my own, um, whys, you know, like mm -hmm. why, why did I do this? Why did I behave this way? Um, and, and I think a huge thing to understand with this book is that there, I'm not blaming anybody. There's no blame, yeah. there's no pointing fingers, um, which is, I think tricky because a lot of people may, possibly see it that way, but there is absolutely no blame. I drank, I chose to drink. 
um, I chose to handle the things that happened to me the way I did. Um, but you know, I'm just telling a story and explaining what happened in my life and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the way it lands on others is often hard because not everybody wants to see the truth and people can be hurt by the truth. And yeah. that's, what's certainly what happened, um, in terms of talking about the culture in the town of Needham, you know, people don't necessarily want to be shown the truth with that. And that kind of landed hard on some. So I think that, you know, not everybody wants to talk about what's right in front of them or, you know, be held a mirror up to them. So yeah, it can be hard. And so how do you feel, how do you feel like, um, your relationships have changed? I know you said that like you lost some friends and you, there is a lot of drinking, like not a lot of sober people in your town. Do you feel like you've been able to carve out like a new kind of life for yourself, new relationships? Like how has that gone? Yeah. Um, I have, I've found some really incredible friends, sober friends, um, here in the town online through the sober community on Instagram. Um, I do have people that have stopped drinking, um, around here since I stopped drinking. So that has been really cool. Um, one of my very good friends, Catherine, who I write about in the book, she stopped drinking shortly after I stopped drinking. We do, uh, the weekend sober podcast together. Um, yeah, so I do have a really great group. And like I, like I say, so often in so many people who are sober say this as well, that it, when we were drinking, it was often about quantity and less about quality. Yeah. Now I feel like I have some really great close friends as opposed to like 25 people I would go hang out with on a Saturday night. (laughs) Right. Um, so yeah, like I, I, I have a smaller group now, I would say that I hang out with and can rely on and know that I can rely on. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of people that don't, um, speak to me anymore, actually mm. that, yeah, that, um, flat out don't want to be around me because I don't drink and don't wow. like, what, yeah, what I have to say, um, don't like the public persona, you know, being, a out there with my sobriety and that makes people uncomfortable. So, um, they, yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's tough. They don't like my book and it's hard. It is hard. So yeah. Well, good for you for putting it out there and telling your story despite, despite that, because that takes so much courage and it really does. Like you said, you have your close knit group of people who like it is, it is totally quality over quantity now. And it's, it's a really good way to weed out who like the people in your life are that are worth keeping around. Yeah. I know it's tough. Um, we, we talk a little bit about this on our podcast and, um, and also I also write for another podcast, fucking sober the first 90 days, which is, um, a narrative fictionalized, um, podcast and it's, Actually, so I'm the head writer for season two, Betsy, um, which is my story in a fictionalized form. So like I'm Betsy and we hone in on like the mommy wine culture and all of that. But there's a couple episodes on like friendship and um, kind of like, yeah, explore that the way friendships shift and change in in how you, yeah, in in sobriety and, and how it's 
you can't always rely on those that were your party pals. So yeah, for sure. But it is, it just like, now you can rely on yourself and like, you can trust yourself and, and, and like yourself, what you said earlier about just like waking up and not liking yourself and then being able to like, actually begin liking, like loving yourself again, when you get sober is like one of the best perks, I think. And one, I think my favorite part in your book was when you got your tattoo that said free, it said free, right? Yeah. Um, and then you like had a conversation with your son, kind of like explaining, explaining yeah. the meaning behind it. I love that. So I wanted to hear kind of like, yeah, what would you say now? You know, you're, you're over two years sober. Like what, what is sobriety like for you? What's life like for you now? Your relationship with your kids? Yeah, I, uh, I would say that it gets better and better every day. And I love how open and honest I am with my children. I felt as if I was a shell of myself. I, I didn't even, yeah, going back to what you just said, like, I didn't know myself. I didn't like myself. I didn't like who I was as a mother when I was drinking. I wasn't, I couldn't look myself in the eye. I couldn't look myself mm-hmm. in the mirror. I feel like now I'm more honest with my children, I'm more confident. There's a level yeah. of confidence that is just, you can't explain it that, um, and we were talking about this the other day, Madeline, when you mm-hmm. podcast that, um, when you walk into a room sober, there's just, you can't explain, like you used to need alcohol to like walk into a room and yeah. go out on a date, like, or just to like be comfortable, you know, socializing now it's like, I can't imagine walking into a room that way because there's so much more confidence with your sober self. Like it, it, yes. it's just like a whole different level. And you can't explain that to somebody who's still drinking. <laughs> yeah. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. But I, I feel that way as a mother. And I feel that way every day with the way I approach motherhood and parenting, I used to feel like my kids could see through me. I used Mm. to feel like they saw that I was kind of like a sham, (laughs) like that I was like playing a role almost like, I feel like they could tell that I, I didn't have my shit together, but now like when I say to them, like, all right, this is what we're doing, or this is the rule or no, like you, you're being disrespectful. Like they respect me more and they listen to me. And it's like, mom runs the show now. And mom isn't just like a hungover pile of crap laying on the couch. <laughs> now yeah. we actually listen to her. Cause mom is like, they respect me. And they, what I love is that like, they have seen the work I have done mm. on myself as a sober mom. They know that I've written a book. They know that I've done these two podcasts and they know that I work hard on all of this. Uh, you know, like I've gone and spoken at different rehab centers and and I'm out there sharing my message and they're proud of their mom. And they, and, you know, they tell their teachers and their classmates, my mom's sober and my mom does this cool. And like, we have a really open, you know, line of communication when it comes to this stuff. And I want them to know, you know, that I kind of went down this hard road and, and I came out stronger on the other side. So, yeah. So good. So good. I, oh my God, the confidence, a thousand percent sober confidence is just unmatched. And your, your kids are so lucky 
to speaking from experience, they're very lucky to have a sober mom. Thanks. Like so Thanks. lucky. And I see that with you. And I know I'm like, I think I just love that. I love seeing you and I can't wait to meet your mom. Yeah. Oh my God. Should we say <laughs> my mom? Okay. So I, I came on your podcast. Um, that was just actually the episode came out today that it recording. Um, and my, I'm coming back with my mom in a month. Yeah. Yeah. So excited. I I can't wait. It'd be so fun. Yeah. Um, okay. What would you say? So someone who's listening, who's maybe like struggling with their relationship with alcohol or like they're in the early days of sobriety, what would you say to them? Like, any kind of like tips or just like words of comfort? Yeah. I would say that, um, there's just so much freedom on the other side that it just keeps getting better and better. And it might feel like a really huge climb right now, or it might just feel really daunting to stop. Um, but listen to that little voice, keep climbing because there's so much freedom on the other side is incredible how much better you're going to feel. Um, I never would have believed it. And, and I judged those that stopped drinking. I was that person that laughed Mm -hmm. at the sober person. Um, I thought my life was perfect without, I never ever could have imagined my life without alcohol. And I relied on it for my forever. And it was all I, you know, I, I used to think, Oh, I'd rather be dead than not drink. Like, you know, I just like, Mm -hmm. I wanted alcohol in my life forever. It is so much better. It's so more, I'm just so free, so much happier. And I just wish for anybody who's considering it or beginning the journey to stick with it because yeah. Yeah. Life life is brighter. That's what I always say. I'm like, much brighter. I just felt like everything was like covered in like this cloud of dirt or dust in my, my drinking days. Like everything was just so dusty. Now I just, it's clear and bright and fresh. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so true. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) I love it. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, get your book, listen to your podcast, all of it. (laughs) So, um, you can get my book on the edge of shattered on you know, anywhere you get your books online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and you can get it on Audible or, you know, any audiobook platform, um, and then ebook form anywhere you get your ebooks. Um, and oh, my Instagram is a sober and strong mom, but also you can check out the weekend sober, which is our podcast. Um, so I co-host that with, um, Ketsia and also my friend, Catherine and, Fucking Sober, The First 90 Days is also um, the other podcast that I'm writing for. Does that cover everything? I think so. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. This is such a good conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Madeline, so much for having me. This is awesome. Thank you so much for listening this week. Be sure to pick up your copy of Kim's book, On the Edge of Shattered. Follow her on Instagram. Go check out her podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then be sure to share it on social media or share it with a friend. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow me on Instagram at Happiest Sober and at Happiest Sober Podcast. I hope you all have an amazing week. I will chat with you next week. Remember that life is happiest when you're sober. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. 
We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.